Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone and welcome along to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. I'm your host, Hugh McTeer, and we've got various contributors coming up as we go through a special countdown of the top 10 British and Irish players who've spent some time playing in La Liga. We created a poll and asked you, our followers and listeners, to vote for your top 10. The way it worked was we asked you to cast three votes each and now we're going to reveal the results in reverse order. So here we go, number 10 in our vote, selected by 8% of voters, it's Michael Owen, who spent one year in Spain at Real Madrid in 2004-2005. To tell his Spanish story, here's Hassan Karim coming up. After Jamie Carragher told him that he wouldn't step onto the pitch if he played for Real Madrid, Michael Owen swapped Anfield for the Bernabeu and chose him for £8 million. A Ballon d'Or winner and club hero at Liverpool, Owen was the latest name to join Florentino Perez's Galactico project. Despite the fact that he did not actually want to leave his former club, he told then-coach Rafa Benitez that he didn't want to miss out on the chance of joining a club he saw as the Holy Grail. He felt if he said no now, he wouldn't get the chance to join them again. From the very off, Owen said he felt the pressures of Madrid immediately. He leads it to his presentation, he spoke of having sleepless nights and suffering from anxiety. During his presentation, he knew that he'd be expected to do tricks, keepy-oppies and the whole show. Instead, he planned to just volley the ball into the net and smile for the camera, something which he actually did, and something he said afterwards he was quite glad that he got away with. His career in Madrid got off to a relatively slow start, and he was hounded in the press for this. It took him eight match days to find his first goal, and his first goal came against Valencia in a 1-0 win. Following that, he'd go on a bit of a run finding some form scoring five goals in his next seven games. However, generally over the course of the season, Owen would struggle to find consistent minutes and then would often be played out of position. Whilst there are a few highlights in that time though, that would probably be highlight headlined by the fact that he scored against Barcelona in the Bernabeu in a 4-2 win. Across his 45 appearances, he's made just 26 starts as he battled for a place against Raul and Ronaldo. Despite this, however, Owen's stats for Los Blancos in his sole season were actually quite solid in their own right. With 13 goals in the league, his goals to minute ratio is actually the highest of any player in the squad. 
Perhaps more impressively, seven of his goals were actually the opening goals in those respective games. Off the pitch, Owen really struggled to adapt to life in Spain. He struggled to speak Spanish and would actually travel all the way to the airport just to get newspapers that were in English. The former Liverpool man also really struggled to adapt to the superstar celebrity lifestyle that his peers really thrived in. Whilst his teammate and compatriot David Beckham would be seen as a massive celebrity in Spain and would just go from height to height in that sense, Owen openly stated that he did not bond with Beckham, despite the fact that they both lived relatively close together and both had young families and their wives were somewhat friends. He said that he couldn't bond into Beckham's inner circle of friends because he felt he was quote-unquote not trendy enough. Although, Owen admitted from the off that he knew he'd struggle to adapt to life in Spain. He said in a recollection of his time in Madrid that upon arrival he knew his time would be short in the capital. He spent his time living out of a hotel and his family really struggled to um, adapt to the loneliness of being in a new country and Owen himself struggled with this too. He became unsettled and decided that he wanted to return to the Premier League. Whilst telling Florentino Perez that he desired a return to his former club Liverpool, his former club were unable to stump up the cash and he ended up being switched over to Newcastle instead, something which would go on to become quite a saga in its own right. Moving on, number 9 with 10% approval in our countdown of the best British and Irish imports to La Liga is Vinnie Samways, who spent several years at Las Palmas playing there from 1996 to 2002, in addition to some other Spanish adventures. To tell us more, here's Gregor Chappell. La pelota de Sandwich a la banda para Pablo Lago. Va a encarar a Yeste, se quiere ir por la línea de fondo. Aguanta perfecto, el envío es buenísimo. El segundo palo llega al remate y el segundo de la Unión Deportiva La Palma. Well, Vinny Samways came through the youth system at Tottenham and went on to make over 250 appearances for the club before moving to Everton in 94. Well, he didn't really settle and after two loan spells at Wolves in Birmingham, he finally took the plunge and made his move to Spain, um, going to Las Palmas for £700,000. Other English exports were known for either their goal-scoring exploits or their playmaking, but Samways was like a midfield enforcer, which was something that was quite unusual in Spain, especially at that time. And the biggest indicator of his rough-and-ready style of play being a bit out of the ordinary came in his debut, where he only lasted 13 minutes before being sent off. Um, and this became a bit of a recurring theme, as we'll see. But fans and fans of other clubs really started to dislike him, even giving him the undesirable nickname of El Giri, which is a pretty derogatory term for a foreign person here in Spain, so that's something he probably didn't enjoy. But the reception he got from his own fans couldn't have been more different. A group of Las Palmas fans even used to bring a British flag to home games to support him. They even named a fan club after him. They liked him that much. <clears throat> but as I mentioned before, his disciplinary record wasn't the best. And he picked up a total of six red cards um, when he was at Las Palmas, which is far from ideal. But his teammate Paco Ortiz did defend him, saying he's not a nasty player in any way. He's just a typical British player who likes to get stuck in type thing. And even though you think with the numerous suspensions and red cards that he wouldn't be compatible playing in Spain, he actually had some success. In his first season, he guided Las Palmas to seventh in Segunda and then... They also enjoyed a run to the semi-final of the Copa del Rey. His second season, they missed out in promotion, losing to Real Oviedo in the playoffs. And finally, in his third season, um, they won promotion by winning the league and going back to the top division for the first time since 1988. It was really priceless for Las Palmas as they ended up finishing 11th that year, even though he did um, pick up 15 yellow cards in 31 games, which is not really a surprise, I suppose. But... Sadly, after this, things took a turn for the worst for Las Palmas. They were relegated after finishing 18th, and because of financial troubles, were having to not pay players. Uh, so Sevilla swooped in 
and took Sam Wade. He was sad about this, uh, leaving the club he loved so much. I mean, it's shown he loved him. By, he waived several months' wages to help the club out at the time. And sadly for him, his time at Sevilla didn't work out too well. Um, he was a starter for a period, but then after uh, an incident with, a, with the assistant coach, he ended up leaving the transfer, win- in the transfer window after making just 13 appearances. It looked like he would go back to another club in Spain. Um, it looked like Cordoba Las Palmas, but he opted for England, went to Walsall. And strangely, he opted to keep his family in Spain at the time, so he was commuting from Spain to Walsall. And uh, bizarrely, one weekend, failed to turn up for a game against Coventry and the manager at the time Colin Lee said you know if he's not in the country how we can hardly play him can we he returned to Spain for Segunda B club Algeciras he would only make one appearance for them though and retired at the end of that season and also went on to manage amateur side San Pedro for two years overall he had a bit of an unusual career he's held in much higher regard as a player in Spain than he is in his homeland the fact that his style of play was so different to that of others in Spain is what makes his, his success so unusual, to be honest. However, it was like exactly that reason that he was so popular in the eyes of the Las Palmas fans. They thought of him as a hero. He became a stalwart on their side and he even capped him a few times. And it's safe to say that he'll be remembered fondly for a long, long time in Gran Canaria. Next up, we've got number eight, with 13% of voters picking him, it's the late Michael Robinson. He finished up his playing career with Osasuna from 1987 to 1989, and then won the hearts and minds of Spaniards with his career in broadcasting after he retired. Paco Pollock grew up listening to Robinson's voice on Spanish TV and radio, and he'll tell this story. Esta va a ser la inicial acción del equipo de Pamplona que terminaría con el remate del británico Robinson ahí está Rípoda, Robinson y su gol 45 segundos de partido I might get a bit emotional talking about the great Michael Robinson, a footballer who became something much, much bigger after coming to Spain. And the fact is that he didn't actually play that much in our country. He landed in Pamplona in January 1987 after a surprising move by Atletico Osasuna, who needed a number nine to lift up the spirits of the team and avoid relegation to Segunda División. Robinson had won a treble with Liverpool in 1983, even though he spent most of his time on the bench and had had a successful stint both in Brighton and in Queen's Park Rangers. Even though most of his friends and family didn't really know if Osasuna was an actual city or not, spoiler alert, it isn't, his landing was seen as an opportunity for a squad which overachieved in the next two and a half seasons he spent there, with an incredible fifth place earned in the 1997-1988 season. Robinson only played 58 games in that time and scored 12 goals, but he left his mark thanks to his drive, aggressiveness and battling attitude. He retired in summer 1999 when only 31 due to an injury in his knee, but little would he know that it was only the beginning of a long relationship with Spain. Robinson was pretty fluent with the Spanish language, something that not many British players have managed to achieve through history, and that's why after retiring he became a pundit for TV broadcasts and even the host of a number of shows, including El Día Después and Informe Robinson, which garnered critical acclaim. And during his 30 years in Spain, he probably became a much bigger public 
figure as his journalistic and communication skills developed far more than his football ones, which were pretty great already. His charm, his Liverpool public support, unbiased opinions and respect towards both players and clubs allowed him to become one of the most beloved people in the media. His death in April 2020 shook the whole Spanish football society after having battled cancer for almost two years. Rest in peace, Mr. Robinson. You'll never walk alone. Thanks for that, Paco. A fitting tribute to someone who made such an impact on Spanish football. We move on now in our countdown and we're on to number seven. Taking 19% of voters' picks, it's Laurie Cunningham, who arrived at Real Madrid in 1979 and who carved out a special legacy there and also elsewhere in Spain later in his career. We go back to Paco now for Cunningham's story. Del Bosque la pone atrás para Lauri Cunningham, Cunningham con Juanito, Juanito para Cunningham, ojo a Cunningham, tiene espacio, la quiere poner el inglés, ahí está Santillana preparado, la pone Santillana, balón atrás, el remate, se le gol, 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 gol. Possibly most young Real Madrid fans won't know the name of Laurie Cunningham, but it's worth remembering his pioneer status as Real Madrid's first ever British player in their history. Both this and his sudden and unfortunate death while still an active player remain two of the most pivotal traits for a man who never had an easy ride during his whole career. Born in London and of Jamaican descent, he did an excellent job in West Bromwich Albion, something which brought the attention of Real Madrid especially after an amazing performance against Valencia in the UEFA Cup. In summer 1979, when he was only 23, Real paid around £1 million for the player, making him one of the few rare black players in the league back in the day. Cunningham was amazingly quick, agile, skilled, and his ability as a left winger was excellent. You know, he actually took corners with the outside of his right foot. Bernabeu fans were hooked. Their nickname for Laurie was the Black Pearl, and he would win the 1979-1980 season of La Liga and two Copa del Rey trophies for Los Blancos. Actually, it can be argued that Cunningham single-handedly changed the perception towards black footballers in Spain at the time. However, he was very unlucky with injuries throughout his stint at Real Madrid, which decreased his impact as an offensive player, even though it was enough to be called by England's national team for a total of six caps. After a short loan back in England at Manchester United in 1983, Cunningham spent most part of that decade in one-year loans and one-year contracts in teams such as Sporting de Gijón, Olympique Marseille in France, Leicester City back in England, or Rayo Vallecano in Segunda División in the 1986-1987 season. That year was successful enough that, after yet another serious injury, and two more short experiences in Wimbledon and Charleroi, he was back to Rayo Vallecano in 1988. That year, already playing as an offensive midfielder with less and less reliance in his physical abilities, he scored a crucial goal which allowed his team to promote to Primera once again. A few weeks later, in July 1989, around 7 o'clock in the morning, Cunningham and a friend were driving back from a night out partying hard when they suffered a car crash. The vehicle crashed into a lamppost and lorry did didn't have the seatbelt on. The player's body was found 10 meters away from the car with severe head trauma and fatal injuries. He died when he was only 33 and with pending talks to renew his contract with Rayo Vallecano. Laurie Cunningham, a pioneer who deserves high praise. We move on to the number six spot in our countdown and it's John Aldridge with 23%. The Republic of Ireland International made headlines in the Basque Country in 1989 when he arrived as Real Sociedad's first ever foreign signing, to tell us all about that, here's Dan Parry. La Real seguía desesperando al Barcelona y logra avanzarse por segunda vez. En esta jugada Fuentes logra centrar en extremis, 
y el cazagoles Aldrich marca el 2-3. When Real Sociedad signed John Aldridge in September 89, he probably became the most important transfer in the club. Up until that point, the club had adopted a Basconi transfer policy similar to that of Athletic Club. But what happened is in the late 80s, all of their best players kept getting signed by the likes of Barcelona or Real Madrid or Athletic Club. And Real Sociedad saw that the model was no longer sustainable. But obviously fans weren't happy about this, so the club made a compromise. Although they were no longer going to play with only Basque players, they decided that they wouldn't sign Spanish players. So any player they signed would have to be from outside of Spain. And the first person they looked for, the per first person they signed was John Aldridge from Liverpool. John Aldridge had played really well for Liverpool, but when Ian Rush came back from Juventus, he basically couldn't get a look into the side. And he had a choice. He could either step down a division or go abroad. So he decided to move to Spain. Not only did John have to contend with being the first non-Bass player in 40 years at the club, but he was also the record transfer, so there was a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Fans were not happy. There's stories about Aldridge being spat at in the streets in San Sebastian. One of the prominent leaders of a big supporters club publicly declared that they would rather see Raul Sociedad in the third division than sign a foreigner. And... On his first day at training, there was a huge bit of graffiti leading into the training complex that said no foreigners allowed. Gipuzkoa is the only Basque province that is bordered by all Basque provinces. It's insular inside the Basque country. It's, you go to parts of Gipuzkoa where people literally cannot speak Spanish. And they're very proud of the policy at Real Sociedad because up until that point, basically all the players had actually been from the province of Gipuzkoa. But John won hearts and minds. He had everything that Basque people appreciate. He's down to earth, hardworking, had no pretensions, and he immersed himself in the local culture. His, his first season was a great success. He scored 22 goals. Uh, Larreal finished fifth in the league and qualified for the UEFA Cup. Unfortunately, he only spent one more season at the club. Although he had managed to settle down quite well in the area, his family hadn't, and they wanted to go home. So he handed in a transfer request at the end of his second season. But even though he only spent two seasons in Donosti, he left behind an almighty legacy. It's said that to this day, Larreal used John Aldridge as the prototype when they're looking for new players to buy who haven't come through the youth system. They want to see all those same qualities that he brought. It's another great story in the connection between Basque football and British football. There's a lot of different tales of players playing from one region playing in the other country. And there's especially a strong connection between the Basque country and Merseyside. And John Aldridge was one of the first in this. And afterwards, we've seen the likes of Xabi Alonso, Mikel Arteta, David Moyes. So not just for Spanish football and Basque football, but for the connection between Spanish football and British football. He was an, an, an almighty important signing. Thanks for that, Dan. We'll soon be hearing from some other contributors after the break. So stay tuned for our top five British and Irish La Liga imports coming up after this short pause. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome back to this La Liga Lowdown podcast all about the best British and Irish players to ever play in La Liga. We asked you to vote for your top 10 in a poll and here are the results. We continue the countdown at number 5 where it's Steve Archibald with 25% of voters picking the Scotsman. He played for Barcelona and our man in Barcelona Roman de Arquer explains what that Catalan adventure was like. Terry Venables played a crucial role in Steve Archibald's signing because the truth is that Barca had an agreement with Hugo Sanchez to land at the Camp Nou in 1984. But Venables insisted on the Scotsman, and so Archibald it was. He became Diego Armando Maradona's replacement. Some may have regrets after all the achievements accomplished by Hugo Sanchez at Real Madrid, but the truth is, Steve Archibald was very beloved at the Camp Nou. And what better way to begin his journey with Barca than scoring in a 3-0 win against the eternal rivals Real Madrid. The first match day of the 1984-1985 season was at the Bernabeu and Archibald gave a very good first impression to the culés after netting the second goal of the game. And that was just a premonition of what was coming that year, because in Archibald's first season, Barca finally managed to win the club's 10th Spanish league title, ending a drought which had lasted 11 years. No doubt Archibald was one of the key figures in this achievement, scoring a total of 15 goals in 32 games in the league, and earning himself the nickname of Archigoles. His second year at the club would see him score his most important goal for Barca in the European Cup quarterfinals against the Juventus with the likes of Michel Platini or Michael Laudrup. Barcelona won the first leg with a tight 1-0 victory, and in the away game, Archigoles scored in a 1-0 draw from an extremely tight angle. A crucial header to send Barca to the semi-finals, which many culés thought he'd scored with his ear, even though he denies it. But in that same game, he also confessed to have lived his worst experience, an injury. 
In the 50th minute, he was subbed off and would end up missing the semi-finals against Gothenburg, in which Barca accomplished an incredible comeback in the second leg at the Camp Nou after losing 3-0 in the first match. He'd then be ready to play in the final, but that injury would bring him a lot of problems in the upcoming seasons. And the final against Teo Bucarest never went as expected. Archibald was picked as a starter ahead of Pichi Alonso, who scored a hat-trick in the semi-final comeback, but was subbed off in the 111th minute, missing out on the penalty shootout, in which Barca scored zero penalties. The following year, in the 1986-1987 season, his injury troubles returned and he was set aside by the club after signing two more British strikers, Gary Lineker and Mark Hughes. Spanish clubs were restricted to a maximum of two foreign players, so when the Scotsman recovered, he began playing with Barça Athletic instead, which was the name given to the B team back then. Until he was registered again to the first team in March 1987, ten months after his last game with the first team. The affected player by this decision was Mark Hughes, who wasn't adapting well. Also, Barça were desperate to try and improve a team which was adrift. His impact was definitely positive, scoring five goals in the ten games he took part in until the end of the season, which included a strange playoff system in which the top four played each other two additional times. But Real Madrid snatched the league with a three-point advantage over Barcelona. After that season, Terry Venables left the club and Archibald was loaned out to Blackburn Rovers. He then returned to Barcelona briefly in 1990, but to play for Espanyol when they were in the Spanish second division. He played 15 games, scoring 5 goals and helping them in their promotion back to Primera División. It was brief, but sweet. He moved on to other clubs, but still maintained a strong connection to Barcelona, and that's why it's currently his city of residence. Next up, coming in at number 4 and just missing out on the podium, it's Steve McManaman. 35% of participants in our poll included Maka as one of their free picks. So let's hear about how he got on in La Liga and in the Champions League as he played for Real Madrid between 1999 and 2003. Here's Alex Brotherton to tell the story. <laughs> Steve McManaman's success at Real Madrid is often forgotten back home, but in the eyes of Madridistas, he's a legend. One of the Premier League's best players by the end of the 90s, but with little silverware to show for it, he needed to leave Liverpool to fulfil his potential. Months of stalled contract negotiations and a failed £12 million move to Barcelona followed. Then, in early 1999, McManaman signed a pre-contract agreement with Real Madrid under the Bosman ruling becoming only the second ever Englishman to join the club. The free transfer would prove a steal for Los Blancos. The wide man was lean, quick-footed, with technical ability and with a superstar lifestyle off the pitch to match. He suited Real Madrid perfectly, assisting the winning goal on his debut against Mallorca and scoring the week after. Over four seasons, he won Champions Leagues in 2000 and 2002 and the Liga titles in 2001 and 2003. He earned a reputation not as a great goalscorer, but as a scorer of great goals. His crowning moment was an off-the-ground scissor kick against Valencia in the 2000 Champions League final, while a gravity-defying effort against Real Oviedo the season after wasn't bad either. Once a selfish, individualistic player, in Madrid he matured, playing less of a glamorous role and fitting in whenever needed. He no longer stayed exclusively on the right wing. He moved to the left to accommodate Luis Figo, and at times even played in the centre. Dictating play and spraying balls from the middle of the park became just as natural to Maka as quick-footed dribbles and bursts down the wing. Labelled by the British press as one of Liverpool's infamous Spice Boys for his off-the-pitch antics, 
Real Madrid fans remember McManaman for his hard-working attitude. There was a sense that he really wanted to be there, not for the money or fame, but to broaden his horizons while achieving his footballing dreams. The story goes that he was so keen to get started at the club that he flew to Madrid without a place to live. At the 11th hour, he found a house that was being vacated by the Inter Milan-bound Christian Panucci. A deal for the house and all the furnishings was struck on the driveway. McManaman was a confident, funny and likeable and made real effort to integrate by learning Spanish. Even when new club president Florentino Perez arrived and repeatedly tried to offload him to fund his Galactico project, he remained dignified and committed. The fans loved him for it, begging Perez to keep him. Eventually, though, in the summer of 2003, McManaman was released to make way for another English arrival, David Beckham. In 158 appearances in all competitions, the boy from Merseyside scored 14 goals and provided 20 assists and won two Champions Leagues and two La Ligas. But his legacy goes far beyond stats and figures. The story of McManaman at Real Madrid is one of maturity and mutual respect. He was integral in a successful period for the club, while the club helped him grow as a player and a man. So here we are, we've arrived at our top three and for the next entry, we're going back to Roman de Arcaire. It's another Barcelona player. This time, it's Gary Lineker, who was picked by 42% of voters. Here's Roman on Lineker's Barcelona spell between 1986 and 1989.: Gary Lineker signed for Barcelona in 1986 after impressing in the World Cup in Mexico. He became the tournament's top scorer ahead of Maradona, who led Argentina to the title. His good performances caught the eye of Terry Venables and Barca directives, who managed to sign him after tough negotiations with Everton. And like Steve Archibald, Lineker quickly found his groove at Barcelona, also scoring in his league debut. It was against Racing de Santander and it barely took him two minutes. He then hit the net again 20 minutes later to seal the deal with a 2-0 win. His first official game meant he'd become the first English footballer to play for the Catalan club. Overall, he scored 20 goals in the Spanish league in 41 games that season, which were good numbers, but he did go through a few droughts. One of those left a curious anecdote with Michael Robinson. Robinson heard his teammates use the rude Spanish expression, hostia puta, but didn't know what it meant. Later, he went to a Catholic Mass for the first time, and he'd never seen a communion wafer before, so he asked a teammate what it was, and he answered with a Spanish term which is also hostia. So then Robinson was unfortunate enough to say out loud in church, ah, so that's the hostia puta. After saying that inappropriate expression, he was incapable of scoring in the following eight games. Until he bumped into Gary Lineker in Barca's chapel before a Barcelona-Osasuna game, and asked him what he was doing there. Lineker told him that he hadn't scored in the last seven fixtures and that all Catalonia was on top of him for it, so he was asking for a bit of help. Robinson then told him his unfortunate anecdote at church, so Gary insisted that Robinson say sorry at the chapel. You want to know what happened next? Barca beat Osasuna 4-2. Lineker scored two goals and Robinson scored one, both breaking their terrible drought. But Lineker's most important goals were probably in a 3-2 win against Real Madrid in which he scored a hat-trick. In his second season, he scored 20 goals among all competitions, including two in the Copa del Rey semi-final, which would eventually become his first title as a culé. 
He then won another title in his third and final season under John Cruyff, the European Cup Winners' Cup. Four goals in eight games by Lineker helped Barca achieve this trophy, but in the Spanish league his numbers peaked considerably with only six goals in 26 games. This was mainly because Cruyff decided to play Lineker in the right wing, far from his comfort zone. According to the Dutchman, it was best for the system he'd implemented at Barca. But Lineker always felt he did that to turn the fans against him to ultimately get rid of him. It probably worked in a way because Lineker decided to leave and then moved on to Tottenham after an old acquaintance brought him back, Terry Venables. Lineker ended his spell at Barcelona with 42 goals in 103 games, being the British top scorer in La Liga for a long time until Gareth Bale overtook him. In Barcelona, he also managed to avoid seeing any card which would help him achieve the FIFA Fair Play Award in 1990 for not seeing a single yellow or red card during his 15 years as a player. Now we've reached the top two. This is the part in the countdown where, by revealing who's number two, I'm also basically telling you who's number one. We've had some honourable mentions who didn't make the top ten, like Ian Hart and Kieran Trippier, but let's be real, neither of them are in first or second place. So at number two, in their top British and Irish imports, the voters have David Beckham, with 55% of voters choosing Becks among their selections. Here's Matt Clark to sum up Beckham's four years in La Liga, starting with his interesting transfer saga before he joined Real Madrid in 2003. Cuidado ahí que la toca Beckham, 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 Beckham la toca oh. al final oh. gol, gol. Beckham was the poster boy for English football. He had done more than any other player to increase the celebrity status of footballers. His marriage to pop star Victoria Adams effectively made them celeb royalty. Real Madrid swooped in to steal his signature away from Barcelona after presidential candidate Joan Laporta claimed to have an agreement with Manchester United. Real concluded a deal for around 37 million euro. Beckham arrived in Madrid with much anticipation as the latest addition to the famed Galactico project. And at his grand unveiling, President Florentino Perez said, he is a man of our times and a symbol of modern day stardom. Tellingly, Perez referred to themes of modernity, fame and image in those comments, all associated strongly with Beckham. It can't be denied that this transfer was about more than just football. Beckham's stardom was the key for Real to crack the Asian market, a huge potential revenue stream for the club. Merchandise was another big factor. Beckham's number 23 saw a surge in replica shirt sales. The club store in Madrid completely sold out of their 8,000 strong stock on the first day of sales, and according to The Economist, over 1 million had been sold by the end of the year, accounting for more than 50% of their replica shirt sales. Indisputably, Brand Beckham was a winner. Golden Balls was the Galactico Golden Goose. As well as off-the-pitch success, he lived up to the billing in footballing terms more often than not. Beck scored on his first home start in front of an expectant Bernabeu crowd as Los Blancos sealed their 7th Supercopa de España title against Mallorca. Just three days later, he scored inside the first couple of minutes of his La Liga debut against Betis. He frequently provided assists for his star-studded teammates and struck up a great relationship with the Brazilian contingent in particular. Ronaldo said that Beckham was the only Englishman who could ever get into the Brazil team. But things were unravelling fast, as Real struggled to challenge domestically and suffered last 16 eliminations in the Champions League. But this bad spell was not Beckham's fault. It was largely a perfect storm of underwhelming collective team performances, the chopping and changing of coaches, and the end of the first Florentino Perez reign. Boardroom turbulence rarely equates with harmony on the pitch. In 2006, Ramon Calderon came in as president and quickly appointed Fabio Capello. 
Beckham was playing less and less and was frozen out completely in early 2007 after agreeing a deal to join the LA Galaxy. But he didn't allow his time in Spain to fizzle out. He continued to be a consummate professional and trained hard, eventually forcing his way back into the team. By the business end of the season, he was having a decisive influence on the title race. His best moment in Spain, winning La Liga in 2007 at the Bernabeu on the final day, was also his last, and he departed for the States. Overall, he scored 20 goals and recorded around 50 assists in 159 appearances for the club. It's true that Beckham had more coaches and more red cards than trophies in his time at Real Madrid, but this only goes to show what a chaotic period the club were going through. Beckham's time in Spain has to be seen as a success in this context, as one of the most high-profile Brits to ever play in La Liga. And on we go to number one, the player who our followers have selected as the greatest British or Irish import to La Liga is Gareth Bale. 67% of voters had the Welshman among their picks, including him for his greatness for Real Madrid in the biggest moments since he joined the club in 2013. Here's Sam Leverage to reflect on those epic moments. When we talk about imports from the Premier League or from Britain and Ireland into La Liga, we can't ignore Gareth Bale. He wasn't just any old import. He was a world record transfer fee of 100 million euros, 85 million pounds. And it came after a long summer of negotiations. Tottenham didn't want to let him go, but Florentino Perez was determined to get his man. And the deal was finally done on September the 1st, right up close to deadline day. His first season didn't go all according to plan, as Florentino might have hoped, though. And the first 16 matches after Bale joined, they were hard going for Bale. He was still trying to regain fitness after a strange pre-season with his transfer pending. And of the first 16 games, there were six of them in which he was substituted on or off, five which he missed through injury, and he completed 90 minutes just five times. It led to some frustration from the media who began to criticise him after his first Classico in October, a 2-1 defeat where he was taken off after an hour. But Bale bounced back and proved what he was capable of. Just four days later, there was a 7-3 win over Sevilla and it was Bale who led the way. Two goals and two assists in that game, which led to him being given the nickname of El Gañón, the cannon, to show his pace and power. And that was exactly what was on show later in the season too. The 2014 Copa del Rey final remains to this day one of Bale's greatest moments as that sprint past Mark Bartra and the goal against Barcelona proved to be decisive. And then not long later, there was a Champions League final where he gave his team the lead against Atletico Madrid in extra time, having been behind. Again, it would be Europe where Bale would continue to stand out for Real Madrid as part of this BBC attack with Karim Benzema and Cristiano Ronaldo. And in the 2016 Champions League final, he recorded another assist and scored in the penalty shootout. That year, he also passed Gary Lineker as the highest-scoring British player in La Liga with 43 goals. That was back in March 2016. He's now some way ahead of that. In 2016-17 was when things started to go wrong for him, though, as injuries continued to disrupt his play. And an ankle tendon injury was the real disruptor. He raced back from injury to be fit in time for a Champions League final in Cardiff, and he made the bench. But it was where things began to go wrong, particularly under Zinedine Zidane. In 2017-18, it was more of the same and it was clear that Zidane didn't fancy him quite in the same way that Carlo Ancelotti did when he was in charge of the Bernabeu. That said, 
despite the fact that he was expected to leave at the end of that season, he did come off the bench to score twice in a Champions League final against Liverpool, the first player ever to do that and win the man of the match. In a post-match interview, he left his future very much up in the air, but the departure of Zidane, the arrival of Lopetegui, meant that the next season was a new start. He won the player of the month in his first month in August of that campaign in 2018-19 and then under Santiago Solari he scored a hat-trick in the Club World Cup semi-final and won the golden ball again showing more signs of return when Zidane returned it didn't quite look the same way things began to look bleak for Berlin injuries began to impact him and Zidane said that he was expected to leave in the pre-season before a move to China fell through and now again there are big question marks over how Real Madrid will handle Gareth Bale. Will he still be at the club or will he finally depart after months of speculation? He'll be remembered for his golfing, for his lack of Spanish and for his injuries. But let's remember, this is a man who's won four Champions League titles at Real Madrid. He's made almost 250 appearances, scored over 100 goals for the club. And he has won La Liga titles. He's won Copa del Rey titles, won Super Copa titles. He's won the UEFA Super Cup. He's won the Club World Cup. He's won everything there is to win at Real Madrid. And that's the legacy that Gareth Bale deserves. Well, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thanks to everyone who voted in our poll and for shaping this countdown as we crown Gareth Bale, the greatest British or Irish import to La Liga. Thanks as well to all our contributors for their insight. That's Roman de Arquer, Paco Pollitt, Hassan Karim, Dan Parry, Gregor Chappell, Matt Clark, Alex Brotherton and Sam Leverage. I'm Hugh McTeer and I've been your host through this countdown and I want to finish by thanking you for listening. Until next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,